you know, mum bought me a new rug and she pays for the net bills, so I should be thankful. Like, that's not <laughs> how they think. We need to understand what horses actually value, right? And, yeah. and some of those, and some, of, and the first one of those is safety. Horses have a strong sense of self-preservation. Mm. But they will be able to see you as a source of safety and comfort if you can be really consistent with how you're asking them to do things. Horses are always communicating with us about how they feel. Yeah. They don't lie about their feelings. Horses don't lie about their feelings. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a happy, light and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication, so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing partnership with your horse. Want to find out my horse training philosophy? Access the free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Welcome to episode 17 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast and in today's episode it's going to be a little bit different because I'm actually the one being interviewed for once and it actually all came about because Equest Hub magazine reached out and wanted to do some articles featuring me and my training methods and I said sure why not and I had a conversation with Enya from Equest Hub. The whole conversation was recorded and when I was listening back to it I thought there's some gold in this episode. I really want to share it on the podcast. And thankfully, Equest Hub agreed. So I have now made it available for you all to hear. So I'm really excited to share this with you. Now, the audio quality is not perfect because we didn't record this with the podcast in mind. So you can hear Enya typing away in the background, taking notes. So please forgive me for that. And one of these days, I will get the audio perfect and it will be happy days. But until then, I know that you guys are really understanding. So thank you. I also wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone that has been reaching out to me on Facebook and Instagram telling me how much you're enjoying the podcast and especially to those who have written reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts. Honestly, reading those messages and those reviews absolutely makes my day and it's just what keeps me going producing content for you on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. So thank you so much and if you haven't reached out to me yet, please do so. You can message me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or just leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. I've got some really exciting interviews coming out and I'm also going to be releasing some more solo episodes on some various horse training topics. So definitely stay tuned for that. Now, in this episode, we discuss my own background with horses from visiting local horse trials with my dad as a kid, all the way to discovering natural horsemanship and then going on to teach others. I elaborate on my 10 philosophies with horses, and some of you might know about these already because it is featured in my free connection and communication mini course, which you can get at AmaliaDempsey.com. Um, and in this episode, I actually share examples of how I put those 10 philosophies into practice. I share common misunderstandings and mistakes people make with their horses that can be detrimental to their training, their relationship, and their performance. I give you my thoughts on quote unquote naughty and disrespectful horses, which I also did a post about on Instagram not long ago, and I had a lot of support behind that. So um, spoiler alert, I don't believe there are any naughty horses, but you'll hear me really elaborate that on that in this interview. I talk about how clear communication can build trust and relaxation in your horse. I talk about the importance of trusting yourself in horse training and the importance of fear thresholds. I talk about solving small behavioral problems before they escalate and become big problems. And we finish up by talking about the benefits and role of groundwork in training, building a relationship with your horse on the ground first before riding and how groundwork helps to actually build that relationship with your horse. Plus so much more. I really hope you're going to love this interview with me for once. So let's dive into the interview. 
Awesome. So, um, really, yeah, I just just wanted to start, and I, I know I know we chatted about this um, before as well, but but just to get in a bit more detail for people, um, your backgrounds and you know how you you ended up um, going down the natural horsemanship road, and you know how you kind of developed your own method there, because I think that's um, a very very fascinating story, um, and you know there's probably a few misconceptions about what natural horsemanship is that that might um you know help clear up um as well Mm -hmm. cool okay well i grew up in a non-horsey family so mum and dad weren't into horses we didn't live on a property but my mum loved horses and she wanted to learn how to ride and my dad used to take me to the ranella horse trials just to have a look at the horses because he knew that i loved them so my mum um, enrolled us both in riding lessons, so we got really involved. And then around a similar time, I moved schools and made best friends with a girl who was totally into horses. So that was just destiny for me. And I ended up leasing one of her ponies who wasn't really suitable for her, but go figure was suitable for a complete beginner. So, um, And she was actually one of my first ponies and she, we had to put her down last year at the age of 39. So Sorry. she's been with me for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What um, a long life, though. Yeah, <laughs> she taught me a lot. Um, so, yeah, I just went through the kind of standard pathway in Australia of doing the pony club thing and pretty much doing everything, like from gymkhanas to dressage to eventing. I was heavily into eventing. I thought I wanted to go to the Olympics as an eventer. Um, so all of the ponies and horses that I got had to jump, um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed that and I think that taught me a lot as well. Um, and I did um, actually eventually pivot into dressage because when I was eventing, I would always leave the dressage phase and my horses would always stop or have a run out or go too fast <laughs> in the cross country phase. So that would always drop me way below in the placing. So I thought, well, I'm pretty good at this dressage thing. How about I just specialize in that? So I I was still quite young at that age. I was only like 17 or something. Um, but I ended up getting like a pure dressage coach and she introduced me to academic horse training, which basically opened my eyes in terms of horse training. Like Because up until that point, I just thought it was, you know, just get on and go and just the horse should know what to do. And I never really thought about what I was doing at a deeper level. But academic horse training, I would say, was the first insight for me in terms of thinking about actually how the horse learns, how the horse is as a species, and thinking about the world from their lens. Mm. But even though I had learned a lot from academic horse training at that point, looking back now, there were still some things I, I wasn't quite understanding, wasn't quite getting. And around this time, I started questioning everything I was doing with horses, even down to the point of, should we even ride them? Should we even keep them in stables? All of these things, I think, I guess it was around the time I was becoming an adult as well and was able to think for myself. So I um, persisted, you know, doing dressage, was quite good at it. I got a a really nice, talented, warm blood and then um, started university and things just got a bit hectic and for multiple reasons I had a year off of horses so I didn't think I would even go back into it so I sold my lovely warm blood he went to a great home I think he actually ended up making Grand Prix so he was beautiful yeah um and but he he had some issues as well like thinking back all of my horses had little issues that I never really fully solved or never really understood myself um anyway so Sorry? So issues in terms of their training or um, sound? No, or? All, if you think about the training in terms of the riding, they were all excellent. Mm. Like, I, I, I guess that's where all of my training was and how mm. to be a good rider. So I was, I was a skilled rider mm. um, and that's where I put all of my energy and attention. Everything else like worming, floating, even leading my horse, um, approaching my horse's first outing or um, helping my horse be relaxed in a new environment. I just never really put a lot of thought into that. I just thought they're just things that we have to get done. Yeah. 
But now I realize they're very important things and almost the most important things for our horses. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, So then after a year of my um, break away from horses, I was miserable basically. So I was like, I need to get back into horses again. And it's so funny because I told myself, I'm just not going to question anything. I'm just going to get on and ride and not worry about all the things that are in the back of my mind. So I kind of push those feelings around, uh, I guess, ethical questions around horses to the side. And I got it off the track thoroughbred as you do because I was wanting to get back into eventing again. Anyway, he ended up having a few issues and uh, medical issues. And I, at the time, was working for Heather Curry. And she had some beautiful young stock at the time. And I absolutely fell in love with two fillies there and um, was fortunate enough to get them as one-year-olds. I've always had the idea of buying them younger because, first of all, they're cheaper. Um, and second of all, then I can train them the way that I like. Well, that pretty much started my journey into natural horsemanship because whilst I'd had young horses before, I'd never really taken a horse from absolutely zero. And that got me questioning what would be the best way to start these horses. And because they were one-year-olds, I couldn't ride them obviously for a few years. But I didn't have a riding horse at the time, so I thought, I was still riding horses for Heather, but I really wanted to do things with my own horses. So I thought, um, I could probably do some like silly games or some you know natural horsemanship things on the side until they're ready to be started under saddle. Well, that basically just opened up a whole new world of natural horsemanship for me because I realized very quickly that I was actually not very good at all at groundwork. So I started researching natural horsemanship online. I had some lessons from some local instructors. And I remember feeling absolutely hopeless, so uncoordinated, dropping my sticks, feeling and and ropes, feeling absolutely just useless and like I was a beginner all over again. So it was a real eye-opener for me, but I think it was a really humbling place to be as well because I thought I was pretty good with horses and all of a sudden I realised actually there's a whole other world, there's a whole other part of horses that I didn't understand. So I'm a bit of a nerd, so I really dove into that and I pretty much signed up to every single natural horsemanship clinic I I could and had lessons as often as I could. I watched videos every day and night and at the time I was um, focused on a particular method. It was the Pirelli natural horsemanship method that I was studying intensely. I wouldn't say that's what I necessarily do or teach now, but it certainly helped me in the beginning and gave me a really good foundation um, for me to be able to have some skills and a toolbox to work with. Um, So, yeah, I um, pretty much went down that pathway and made some really good friends and mentors in the process. So I was very lucky to come across some people who were very generous in their time with me and um, were willing to answer all my silly questions and help me problem solve all the things that came up along the way. So uh, as a result, my horses started becoming very, uh, I guess, well-behaved in quotations in terms of other people would notice how uh, light they were off of the halter and lead rope, how, you know, they would just stand there in a new environment and soak it all up and not be afraid and how they would really be in tune with me and connected with me. And naturally, people started wanting the same things. So then they started asking me for help. And now I'm kind of just paying it forwards. And I'm continuing to study and learn to this day. I'm absolutely addicted to learning. And yeah, because of this, I think teaching as well helps you learn because if you're if you understand it, you're able to teach it. Or maybe it's the other way around. If you're able to teach it, then you really know it. So yeah. for me, I, I enjoy teaching because I'm helping others, but also because I'm helping myself through teaching. So yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much a snapshot of my journey. There's probably a whole lot more detail in there, but... Um, I don't want to ramble on too long. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, yeah, no, that's great. That's a, that's a great kind of little, you know, background and summary there. Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious then about, um, 
any, you know, you've, you've obviously talked about before you realised that the little things beyond training were actually um, some of the most important things. Um, so, and Anna, I, that, I think that kind of, that will kind of tie into the next question um, again, which is, are there any kind of um, either, you know, philosophies or fundamentals or things about your approach um, that, that kind of provides the, the framework for what you do. Is that like, is, is that an answerable question or is that a little bit broad? <laughs> it's a big question, but yeah, I'll try yeah. my best to yeah. answer it. Um, so my approach is always changing as I grow as a horsewoman and mm. I think everyone is on that journey. So there was a time there where I was like, oh, well, I need to know exactly what I'm doing at all times. But the reality is every horse is an individual. Every horse is going to teach you something different. So your approach will change from horse to horse. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you can't follow a method or have some philosophies around what you do. And, in fact, I think it's almost essential to have, or at least when you're starting to learn natural horsemanship, to have a method or a system or an instructor that you follow so that you can actually learn some skills to apply because yeah. you can't be adaptable, you can't change your approach if you don't even know what you're changing or mm. how the different options you have, basically. So I'll run through some of my philosophies, which are kind of like overarching things that I bring to pretty much any horse that I work with or any student that I work with, and especially my own horses. So the first one is attitude is everything, right? Because if you... Uh, approaching your horse, you're already in a bad mood, you're you're thinking about your day, you're you've got a short fuse, well your horse is gonna feel that. We all know, even if you're not into natural horsemanship, we all know that our horses can feel our energy, especially when you're riding. Mm. But they can also feel it when you're on the ground as well. Yeah. So for me it's really important that you approach your horse with a positive attitude. Yeah. And just quickly on that one, um, what do you do and also recommend your students do um, to help make sure you are in that positive attitude? Are there any kind of ways you either check in with yourself or just make sure you really um, ground and tense yourself before approaching your horses? Hmm. I could give you a really woo-woo answer and say do some meditation or some grounding or, you know, a lot of people are into that sort of thing, but... Quite honestly, it's not what I do. I think what helps me have a positive attitude when it comes to my horses is simply just thinking, okay, well, I'm doing this for the fun of it. Mm. There's no point in being in a bad mood. Like, this is the highlight of my day. And and your attitude is a choice you make. So you really get to decide how you feel in any given moment. So, yeah, sure, you can do the meditation or whatever, but I think if you can just have a moment where you go, okay, this is my me time with my horse. I'm going to leave my day behind me. I'm going to choose to be in a good mood because that means my session is going to go better with my horse anyway. I think there's actually some research to say that horses can um, tell the difference between a person smiling and a person frowning, which mm, is pretty cool. And yeah. they prefer to be with the people that are smiling. So. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's so great. It's so it's so simple and so obvious, but you know it's so easy to forget when you're in, you know, the, uh, dealing with stress of a job or family and um, all of that, and think, oh, I've got to go and ride my horse now. So that's awesome. So my next philosophy would be to be aware of your own and your horse's body language, and this is probably one of the key things where I see people going wrong because they're not aware of how their body language is influencing their horse. Mm. You know, I think a lot of us these days are really uptight, we're really stressed, so we hold a lot of tension in our shoulders, and we just find it really hard just to relax our bodies and take our time a little bit more. Um, But on the flip side of that, when you're asking your horse to do something, you kind of need to increase your body language as well. So in natural horsemanship, we often talk about your energy or your life or your body language. All of those things we can use to help communicate with our horse. And I think a lot of people, myself included, previously had no idea of that. Yeah. But it's huge for horses because when you think about it, horses communicate to each other with their body language. Mm, So if we can show them that actually 
we can use our body language to talk to them, then all of a sudden a whole new language opens up with our horses. It's kind of like if you met someone who only speaks Chinese. It's going to be pretty hard to speak to that person in English, but if you go to the effort of actually learning a little bit of Chinese, you're going to be able to have a bit more of a conversation. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So go to the effort of learning their language. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And the next one, there's quite a few, actually, quite a few philosophies that I have, and in my free connection and communication mini course, I go into much more detail into each of these. Yeah, exactly. So I'll try not to, I think there's 10 in total, so I'll try not to ramble too much on all of them, but the next one is relationships are mutually beneficial. Yeah. So often horse riders in general, you know, once again, I was like this too, we just think about what we want. Yeah. You know, we want to go to the competition, we want to get the horse on the float, we want to win the blue ribbon, and we just want to learn how to do the advanced stuff. But horses actually don't think like that, right? And they also don't think, oh, well, um, you know, mum bought me a new rug and she pays for the vet bills, so I should be thankful. Like, that's not <laughs> how they think. We need to understand what horses actually value, right? And, yeah. and some of those... And some, of, and the first one of those is safety. Horses have a strong sense of self-preservation. Yeah. So we need to really show them that we can keep them safe. Yeah. And there's ways you can do that through groundwork. Yeah. Um, the other, uh, that my next philosophy is think from your horse's perspective. So similar to what I've previously mentioned in that we need to understand horses as a species and how they view the world. Yeah. Um, and in that way, we can kind of, use that in our training because if we can understand what motivates horses and how they learn then we can actually in a way capitalize on that because we can um get down what we can understand the world at their level yes yeah absolutely so the next one is build a language of clear communication so horses are not installed with buttons right they don't they're not born and all of a sudden they know what a leg yield is, they know what the cancer rate is, they know that to stay out of your space or whatever it might be. We actually need to teach them those things. Mm. And it always surprises me that people are happy to take as long as it takes to teach a horse how to do a flying change or um, how to do a beautiful walk trot transition. You know, we spend hours of time on these things yet we expect a horse to load onto a trailer for the first time in 15 minutes. Like, (laughs) we're just super scary for a horse, right? Yeah. So I think if we could just, um, you know, work on building a communication and a language around some of these other things that we do with horses with as much dedication and excitement and empathy as we do with our riding, then our horses are going to have a much better time. Totally, yeah, yeah. The next one is turn negatives into positives. So often with horses, we have to do things to them that are negative, right? No horse wants to be worked. Most horses don't really like getting onto the float. It's a scary thing if you've ever ridden in a float yourself. It's terrifying. Um, Most horses don't like the bit in their mouth initially. But we can do things to help our horses actually love these things. Right, so I always try where possible to turn negatives into a positive. As an example, with worming, I will use an empty syringe and put some molasses water in the syringe, and for 10 days straight, I will worm my horses with the molasses wormer. Then, of course, unfortunately, on the 11th day, I have to give them the actual wormer. But then I back it up by another 10 days of molasses worming. So just out of out of those. 21 days, there was only one wormer that was a bit off, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. So I know it's tedious, right? But it's really important to me how my horses feel about these things. Mm. So I'm going to take the time to show them that these things that are potentially negative can be positive things. Yeah, yeah. And does that typically, um, and obviously in your you know, course, you'd probably go into a lot more detail about how to go about that, but generally is that... Um, Things like, you know, for, for t- you know, your training and float loading and things, uh, food rewards and that type of thing, or what, what generally do you do to turn it into a positive for them? Yes, well, I think food rewards have got a bad rap in the industry as a whole, 
and I have seen how food rewards can also be a bad thing. So I I do use food rewards. I'm very conscious of how I use them. Yeah. I will help my horse understand what I call treat manners, so how to accept a treat without kind of pestering into my space, mm, yeah. um, which can turn into dangerous behaviour, especially yeah. if a horse is frustrated about not getting that food reward. And also these days I try and separate when I'm using the food rewards. So often for um, things, especially standing still behaviours, uh, I like to use the food rewards. But yeah. sometimes for movement type behaviours, it is difficult to provide a treat whilst the horse is moving. Yeah. So I, I stick to pressure and release training generally for movement at the moment. Um, I think uh, with horses that are a little bit shut down, Food rewards can be really good to bring them out of their shell and to show them that actually there is something in it for them. Uh, but I, I do really like positive reinforcement for things like worming, bridling, um, floating in that I do allow my horses to eat loose and hay on the float um, because, you know, there's got to be something in it for them. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, floating. Yeah, so I just, I try and make them think the float is like this moving smorgasbord. Um <laughs> So, yeah, my answer would be I use a mixture of treat rewards, so we call that positive reinforcement in animal behaviour and also pressure release, which is negative reinforcement in uh, animal behaviour. And those two terms, it doesn't positive reinforcement doesn't mean um, positive in the emotional sense, it's in the mathematical sense, so we're adding something reward, uh, adding something desirable for a behaviour, whereas negative reinforcement is we're taking away something aversive yeah. Yeah, so just to clarify that. Yeah, cool, definitely. Cool. I've got a couple, a few more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. Sorry. No, it's great. Um, the next one is don't proceed without relaxation. Right, so horses cannot learn when they're in a tense or anxious state. Yeah. So for me, it's really important. I mean, we can't avoid sometimes where horses are going to be anxious or tense. Yeah. But we need to have a bit of a toolkit that we can use to help our horse relax. If our toolkit is just get on and, and do it anyway, well, we're not really helping our horse and that session is probably not gonna be very constructive because think about it yourself, when you're tense and anxious, can you learn something new? Yeah, it's pretty difficult. Mm. So if my horses do get tense or anxious, which is inevitable, or horses will get tense or anxious at some point, it's always my goal to bring that back down. Yeah. Um, before I go on to teach them something new or work on something more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. The next, the next philosophy is consistency equals trust. So if I can be really consistent with my training, with my body language, with my application of my cues and my pressure, then my horse is going to learn to trust me because I become very predictable. Yeah. Horses, I think, get tense and anxious and worried when they don't really know what's going to happen next but they will be able to see you as a source of safety and comfort if you can be really consistent with how you're asking them to do things. And sometimes the things that you ask them can actually be a source of comfort in themselves, especially in a new environment. If everything else is uncertain in their new environment and then you, the owner, ask them to do some things that are familiar to them, suddenly they go, oh, this is okay, I know how to do this, I can do this. Yeah. So absolutely. it can become something that they can trust through communication with you. Yeah, brilliant. And does that, okay, does that come back <laughs> to... Okay, just quickly, does that come back to this? I'm so passionate about it. It's so great. I love it. It's, it's you know, um, yeah, really, really fantastic. Just, just take things to a much deeper level. Um, so then your ninth, um, ninth philosophy. Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, there's two more. Yeah. Two more, yeah. Oh. So um, the ninth one is to be a good leader. Now, I really want to clarify this because that doesn't mean being your horse's boss. Mm. It doesn't mean dominating your horse, which is a, quite a popular thing to talk about and to do to horses, which I don't believe in. Yeah. The way I, I try and see it, I mean, a horse-human relationship is like no other relationship, but I do try and compare it to like a mother-child relationship, right? So mm. a mother has to be loving first and foremost but also has to have some healthy boundaries in place first of all to keep the child safe but also to make sure that that child grows up to be a 
you know, a, a good person. Yeah. Um, but a good mother, I mean, everyone has their bad days. I'm not even a mum yet, but <laughs> a good mother tries to install those boundaries in a loving way. Yeah. She doesn't, you know, where possible, try not to use force or punishment or, um, you know, negative kind of energy. So I think it's really important that you think about your leadership style when it comes to your horse and you're always as encouraging as possible rather than domineering. Mm. And I also say to people, be your horse's cheerleader. So instead of growling and getting up them, have the energy of like, come on, you can do it, rather than, yeah, that kind of forceful energy. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love it. It's a great analogy being their cheerleader and when on that note then um how can a rider you know maybe maybe someone who's a little bit greener how can if they go okay um make sure i'm not you know being domineering with them um how can they kind of understand the um line between and and you maybe you might not necessarily agree with this but you know we know that horses aren't um, naughty, but you know there are sometimes times where they uh, you'd you'd probably use a different term. I'd say that they're just <laughs> taking the piss every now and then, um, yeah. and they're more just going, oh, I can, you know, I, like I, I I don't really, and and I'm just um, probably because they're not clear enough in their leadership style, I imagine, but they're going, oh, I I'm, I can I don't really have to pay attention here, or I'm I'm just going to do this because it hasn't been. Um, you know, there, there's not really an incentive for me to. Um, so how might someone, you know, um, particularly more, more novice rider recognize, um, when to, uh, how do I, I mean, I'm just, just working at the best way to articulate this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Yes. And I think it must be difficult for the more amateur rider because they would be getting this kind of advice perhaps from a lot of coaches, you know, Mm. or they're just testing or they're just naughty or you just need to get firmer or put more spare on, whatever it might be. Mm. But when you think about it in terms of horses as a species and in terms of horse behaviour, a horse is only doing what they think is going to keep them safe Mm. or comfortable. Yeah. Or what is going to be reinforcing for them? So whatever they've been reinforced for in the past. Yeah. So if let's say pushy, let's say a you know quote unquote pushy horse yeah. is walking into your space, yeah. they're only doing that because they don't understand that moving off of the halter backwards is what they're supposed to do when they meet that resistance. Mm. In the past, they've probably pushed into the halter. Um, they, the person then releases, so they go, okay, well, in order to get rid of the pressure of the halter on my nose, I just have to push into it. Yes, yeah. Okay, so then they're being reinforced for that behavior. Mm. So if we can be a little bit more non-emotional about it and try mm. not to judge our horse's behavior and simply go, that horse is just doing what he thinks, he or she thinks will work. Yeah. That's literally all it is. Yeah. They're not doing it to hurt you. They're big animals. They can hurt you. Mm. But I believe there are no horses that are out to get you or I don't even think they do test you. I think they're just doing what they think is working. I don't really think horses think like that. Mm. Um, and I was going to mention this in the next part, but this is a common misunderstanding. But I've been there as well. People say, your horse is naughty, they're out to get you, they're testing you, they're disrespecting you. I don't believe any of this. I believe there are no naughty or disrespectful horses, only horses who are fearful, confused, frustrated, or in pain. Cool. And it's our yeah. job as their human rider and trainer to solve these problems with compassion, patience, and a willingness to listen, understand, and learn. Yeah, yeah. So cool. it, it's just... And that, that should be freeing for people to hear. Mm, because then they don't they don't think, Oh no, my horse is just a naughty horse, I've got to sell them. Yeah. No, that behaviour can be changed. You just need to change your approach. Mm, mm. I love those four things for um giving people giving people um somewhere to pinpoint why, because if they can look at um, you know, instead of kind of getting overwhelmed with what is it, go, okay, you know, are they scared? Are they confused? Are they frustrated? Are they in pain? Then at least it actually gives them a bit of a clearer um, place to look. 
in yes. this case. Yes, and probably um, the confused and frustrated part would be the majority of what I see. Mm, okay, yeah. Um, especially if, you know, the coach is saying that they need to be firmer or, um, you know, we're talking about being a good leader, having boundaries, a horse that needs those things is generally confused about what the pressure actually means. They're frustrated because they don't know where the release is. Yes. So it's either like unclear or inconsistent um, in the pressure. Exactly. Yeah. They simply don't understand the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so with that, um, that well, previous one, that number nine of being a good leader, um, would, would you say with any kind of, you know, good making sure they're going, you know, going about it the right way and, and finding that right position without being, you know, overly domineering, um, all the other way around, um, would you say it's then, okay, thinking of, um, you know, where's the horse's, what's the horse's motivation, um, but then also what response is the horse getting for whatever that behaviour is? Yes, which is also a part of the motivation, I guess. Yeah. 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 And the, yeah, and, it, mm-hmm. and they're like, has it almost like then a, a framework to go, um, you know, look at each side, like the motivation and then the, and the response to help them um, understand mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of thinking they're more like, you know, you know a student how they would um, yeah, think about it. Actually, I did do a podcast. It's called um, 10 Questions to Help You Solve Any Horse Problem. Yeah. And I think these questions, I think I actually put an extra two questions in there, but um, 12 questions didn't sound very good. Um, so uh, those questions help you to be a good leader because mm. I think it is the quality of the questions that you ask yourself that determines how well your horse training goes. Yeah, yes. That's a great one. Yeah, the quality of the questions. Um, And I guess the more questions you have up your sleeve, the better. Because then you're not stuck in this, oh, well, it's either this or that. Yes. Um, You've got a little bit more perspective to draw from. And that's why I like giving people questions. And when I first started natural horsemanship, it used to drive me insane when I would ask instructors a question and they would answer me with a question. Mm. But now I find myself doing that. And the reason for that is because we want people to be thinking themselves. We want people to be problem solving themselves because we're all trainers at the end of the day. Yeah. We've got a horse for a horse trainer. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, we need to be thinking outside the box. Yeah, 100%. Cool. And so that 10 questions that will help you solve a horse problem, um, I might even pop a link to that in the article. Yeah. Too. That would be great. Yeah, I think it's episode good. two. Okay. So it was early on. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. So... Um, I think I, I I really think that's covered a lot of my next question, which was, you know, what are some of the most common, um, you know, misunderstandings people have about their horses, you know, mistakes they make. Um, and it was, you know, thinking like from the perspective of of both the people who would be reading this, but then also maybe what their coach is saying to them. Um, but I, you know, I, I also wonder if there's any. Um, any, 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 anything there that, that, um, you'd like to talk about that you feel you haven't mentioned or want to reinforce, um, from those 10 points? Um, and even if it's, even if it's, um, mistakes they might make as well in the way they go about training or, or missing some of the fundamentals too. Yes. Cool. And I don't think I gave you the 10th philosophy. Oh, sorry. Whoops. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. Um, the tenth one is, I'll get on to the next question after that, but the tenth one is to be faithful and have fun. Oh, cool. Because love. after all, that's why we do it. Yes. We have yes. horses because we love it, and they make us happy, and we enjoy it. If yes. you're not enjoying the process, why do you have horses? Yes. So you've got to bring that playful and that fun energy, and it kind of goes back to the first philosophy, attitude is everything. You've got to approach your horse with that playful, fun, and happy uh, energy because then you're actually going to enjoy every day that you're with yeah. your horse. Yeah. Love it. Okay. And the mistakes and misconceptions, misunderstandings, all of those things. Um, I already mentioned the naughty horse thing. Yeah. But I also one. think that a lot of people don't give themselves credit for what they're feeling 
Like, you know your horse better than anyone else, better than your coach. Mm. And I can say that from being a coach because yeah. even though I have a deep understanding of horses, I will sometimes ask my students, how do you think she or he feels about that? Because they know their horse on that intimate level. They're, mm. they're with their horse every single day. Yes. So I think people need to give themselves credit for what they're feeling their horse is feeling. Yeah. You know when something isn't right. Mm. And it's important that you trust those feelings. And if someone is ever telling you something that doesn't sit right with you, trust that feeling and remember that you are your horse's advocate. And there's always another avenue you can go down if yeah. you're feeling like the path you're on isn't quite right for where yeah. you, you and your horse are at. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's such a good one. I'll just say quickly on that, I had a, um, not to drag it out too long, but I was actually eventing a, um, back when I was a teenager, um, horse who lost his eyesight. Um, and he was, he, he could still see a little bit, but not very much at all. Um, and galloping around one star cross country. And I was saying to my coach, like, he's not focusing on his fences. Like, this is so weird. It's so wrong. And everyone was like, no, 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 he's fine. He's fine. Keep going. Keep going. Um, and I was just like, right. And I was with other kids. So I didn't, I, I just did what they said, um, until, you know, he fell at a jump. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. And it was only the chiropractor when it got him um, looked at after that. He said, he said, actually, maybe you should check his eyesight. But it's just those things like that. Like, even as a young kid, you can um, feel stuff that others yeah. just kind of go, no, keep doing it. You can. And I, I also feel like you care about your horse the most out of everyone. That's actually very true, so, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So your coach or your friend or whoever, your parent, they're not necessarily looking at the horse through your lens. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to trust those feelings. And I think amateurs especially or beginner um, horse owners or whatever it might be, I feel like they don't give themselves enough credit for what they feel because they think, oh, no, they're a professional. Uh, I don't want to, you know, discredit what they're saying. I'll just keep my mouth shut. Mm. And... I don't think that's good practice. I think if you're feeling a certain way, you should feel comfortable enough with your coach to voice those concerns. And if they're not taken seriously, then, you know, perhaps they're not really the coach for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, you're an adult. Like, you have an opinion. You're allowed to, to say what you want. And also, you're the paying customer. So, mm, that's <laughs> they it. should really listen that's to you. <laughs> and if there are any, like, if any coaches reading this, and also I'm curious myself, um, how, you know, how do you go about um, making sure if your, your students feel really confident communicating that? Is it more a matter of uh, continually asking them, you know, how they, they think their horse is feeling or... How do you make them comfortable saying that? a good that? question. I think because I'm always highlighting how the horse feels within a lesson, yeah. my students feel comfortable discussing that with me mm. um, because I make it such a priority that if a student tells me, oh, I think that's too much of a big step, I completely respect that. Yeah. And I think because my students know I'm going to respect both their horses' thresholds mm. and their thresholds, they don't have any issues communicating with me about those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, in many sporting um, industries, mm. it's kind of an unspoken rule, you know, don't argue with your coach. Um, I'm not, I'm not uh, promoting arguing, but I think... In this day and age especially, it's totally fine to have an open discussion with your coach yes. where you're pretty much at the same level. You know, like I, I don't think it's healthy to have a coach who speaks down at you, who makes you feel bad for asking questions, who says things like, well, that's just always the way, that's the way it's just done. That's always the way it's been done. Mm. I don't think that's good enough reasoning. Um, so I think you should be able to ask as many questions and feel like you can speak up for your horse. And I think if you yourself as a rider make that pretty clear from the start, like I've had lessons where I'll say, my horse is tired now, I'm going to finish the lesson now. Like, it's my choice yeah. at the end of the day. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think people just need to be more confident in that. I think most coaches are pretty understanding. Yeah, yeah, love it. Now, I had, like, a 
whole list of things for your uh, misunderstandings question, but you probably don't want me to go into all the. Oh, that's all right. I'll stop. I'll stop. Um, I'll stop asking asking extra questions unless it's one where it's like, oh, I have to know, um, and just to let let you let you get through them for sure. Okay, so I will talk about. I think one of the misunderstandings that people have. Not so much a misunderstanding, just something that they miss, a lot of people don't know, um, is the horse, they ignore the horse's communication about their fear thresholds. So we all have fear thresholds. It's basically where we or the horse picks a point in whatever we're doing where that very first sign of I'm not okay with this creeps up. Yeah. And it's much more subtle than we think. So when your horse is rearing, bucking, bolting, they are so far over fear threshold, often it's pretty hard to come back from that. Yeah. So we need to understand and recognise when our horse is telling us they are worried when it first shows up and help them there before pushing them past thresholds and amplifying their anxiety. Mm. So as an example, that might look like you're leading your horse from the paddock to the arena and your horse stops yeah. and looks at something. Yeah. And you go, hurry up, come on, you know, I've only got an hour. But that horse is saying in that moment, I'm not okay right now. And it might just be, you know, 10 seconds to allow your horse to look around and take in a new environment. Then you ask them to walk on and they're like, oh, okay, my human, let me kind of have a moment then. Yeah. Now, there's a fine line there between, you know, your horse choosing to stop whenever it wants Mm. and recognising when your horse has uh, got an increased anxiety or um, a fear threshold. Mm. So, you'll be able to tell the difference because a horse who's got fear, they'll go from being relaxed, you know, head down, floppy ears, blinking, you know, we all know what a relaxed horse looks like, soft eyes to head high, ears gripped, Whites in the eyes, um, even things, the horse is freezing can be one thing, but they're freezing in a state of alertness. Um, stiff muscles, like you can see the tension in their neck, sometimes tail swishing. All of those things are little signs that your horse is not okay. Mm. So I try as best I can to observe when my horse shows me those things because yeah. our horses are always communicating with us about how they feel. Yeah. They don't lie about their feelings. Horses yeah. don't lie about their feelings unless they're in a state of learned helplessness, but that's a completely other topic. A state of what, sorry? Um, learned helplessness. Pardon? Oh, yeah, yeah, learned helplessness, yeah. yeah. Learned helplessness, yeah, cool. that's just another another can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, I think that's one of the big things that people, um, where they go wrong. Mm. And the other thing is, um, this is... Probably related, but ignoring or tolerating small problems. So that means like managing, masking, or coping with small, seemingly insignificant problems, and then being surprised when they grow into much larger issues. Yeah. So I always say fix a problem when it's a one out of ten kind of problem before it becomes a ten out of ten and therefore much harder to fix. Mm. So this might look like hmm, my horse doesn't really stop well from, like, let's say riding, my horse doesn't really stop well from walk to halt. Yeah. And you go, doesn't matter, let's try canter. Yeah. Um, and then you can't <laughs> stop your horse at the canter. It's like, yeah. how about we get the stop working really well at the walk yeah. before it becomes a 10 out of 10 problem at the canter? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, with groundwork, that might look like, oh, my horse is... Um, worried about that big um, bush over there, <laughs> let's just walk straight up to it. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, your horse is worried 50 metres away. Mm. We need to deal with the anxiety there where the problem is a 1 out of 10 before it becomes a 10 out of 10 problem. Yes. Yeah. Another example might be your horse is pushing in on your space a little bit. Now, I don't um, agree that your horse has to stay out of your space at all times. So I will let my horses cuddle me. Yeah. But let's say a horse that's kind of pestering you or pushing into your space, that's a 1 out of 10 problem. Fix that when it's 1 out of 10 before it becomes your horse rearing on top of you, which is a 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. problem and it can escalate to that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are lots of examples like that. And I think if you're noticing 
noticing those little things. Your horse is noticing that they're doing those things. Your yeah. horse knows that they're doing those things. So if you can show your horse that you're noticing and fixing those things when they're little, then it's not going to be a surprise to them as well when all of a sudden you say, actually, rearing is not okay. Yeah. And they go, well, hang on a second. The smaller versions of that you said were totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, another point I wanted to make was, they kind of all are interrelated, but this one, I think people often go too fast in more ways than one. So, and I'm guilty of this too because I'm very ambitious. So I want to do the fun, advanced stuff. Yeah. But sometimes people will try tasks at a faster gait when they're not very good at a previous gait. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might ask multiple steps of a groundwork task when the first step isn't very good. Yeah. Um, and I think progressing the horse too quickly can be detrimental to them physically and also mentally. And I also think people just go too fast in general in terms of they can be in a hurried kind of state in their training. Okay. Horses really like things to go a bit slower. They don't like to be rushed through tasks. They, they like a lot of notice when you apply cues and pressure. Um, so... Yes, I think people in general take things a little too fast in their training. Yes, yeah. Comes back to that old adage of um, you act like you have a day it will take ten minutes, or it's like you have ten minutes will take all day. That's so true. You definitely applicable to horses. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was like a Monty Roberts thing or one of those old (laughs) ones. But yeah, yeah, that quote quote always stuck with me. Um, every time I get up there and I'm like, oh, I don't have much time feeling stressed. It's like, well, hang on a second. I know. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> I do it too. And I go, oh, that worked well. I'll just try a bit more. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, I overdid it. Whoops. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, no one's perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, um, just on that super quickly, um, is there, I don't know if, if you have a bit of a philosophy or an answer to this, but how far to um, take your training um in a single session so if you're like okay well they've given you know they've given me some great work here um you know how is one to to kind of know all right good stop you know finish on on a good note because they've they've tried or go okay well actually how about it's time to build on that great work you know the the good work and, and it's an opportunity to to put something in that we might not necessarily be able to do um we don't have that level. Or would you or would you kind of say, um, well wait until they're giving you that good work consistently several times before you even think about asking something else? Mm. Yes, that's a good question. So I generally will go for one percent improvement in a session. Yeah. So I'll start off, you know, with the goal of, you know, maybe I want to get six steps of a Spanish walk, say, which is one of the things I like to do with my horses. Yeah. So, you know, your percentage, yeah. the way you analyse the percent might be different. So it might yeah. be one more step. It might yeah. be a higher step. Yeah. It might be holding that step up mm. a little longer. Mm. So, um, in general, I wouldn't layer too many criteria yeah. in a session. So I wouldn't go, well, I want bigger steps, longer steps, and multiple steps, mm. right? Because that's, that's a lot of criteria for the horse to learn yeah. in one session. Yeah. So I choose kind of one criteria to improve on, and I go for 1% improvement. And my theory is with 1% improvement in each session, I'll keep the session short, and then in 100 days, it'll be 100% better. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so there's that. And also in terms of um, when you're teaching something new, your question around do you repeat it again and again and again until the horse has it. Mm. That is a trickier one to answer because let's say your horse, you're teaching a horse a high quarter yield and they didn't know how to do one before and you teach them to do one step, well, that's like that's way more than 1% better. I'm probably not going to end on one step, right? Because usually the first, Repetition is almost, I say it's almost a bit of a fluke. Yeah. Like the horse didn't really know it was doing the thing. It was just trying to escape pressure. Yeah. I kind of like to 
end when I know my horse is like, ah, got it. Mm. You know, and that's hard to put into words. Um, but I guess the best way to explain it would be my horse moves off of really light pressure or body language. Yeah. So I'm not having to hold it all together. Like that is definitely not how I want to ride or train on the ground. So if I'm training a particular task, my horse gives me a 1% improvement and it's off really light pressure or body language. And I feel like my horse is going, ah, I got it now. Yeah. That's when I'll end. I won't go, great, they've got it. Let's do it 20 more times. Yeah. Even though that's really what I want to do. Mm, yeah, yeah. Totally. No, that makes a lot of sense. I hope that helps. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so um, then I just wanted to go um, on to the groundwork a little bit more. Um, you know, and first of all, the, you know, the, the role it plays in um, establishing that trust with your horse. Um, I use the words confidence and connection because I know that's um, what you use in your, in your course. Um, yeah, so, so what, what, first of all, like, what role does that play for you in your, your training and riding? Mm, a large role. For me, it's the basis of everything. So yeah. if I were to get a new horse, I would spend at least a few months doing groundwork before even thinking about riding, even if that horse had previously been started under saddle, okay. because it's about building that relationship. Mm. For me, the relationship is built on the ground first. Yeah. Um, it builds the connection, the confidence, the communication. It builds the relaxation and responsiveness to your aids and your cues. Yeah. And all of these things... Are what riders want anyway like no yeah. rider in the world would deny that they want these things from their horse yeah and groundwork in my opinion is the best way to get there before hopping on your horse mm. so i think a lot of people were like oh groundwork like there's no point it's not related to riding um and i used to think that too but there's so much we can teach our horses in terms of response to pressure, yeah. what our aids mean, what our cues mean, how to respond to the lead rope, which can translate to the rain, yes. how to move their body. You know, we can do lateral work on the grounds. We can teach our horse to shift their weight backwards. We can teach our horse flexions and all sorts of things. We mm. can teach our horse how to be balanced on a circle. Yes. All of these things which are much easier for a horse to do without the weight of a rider on their back. Mm. And also, a rider on the back is a lot more confusing for the horse because there's more variables. You know, our weight has shifted sometimes. We've got our own asymmetries. Yeah. We might be a bit nervous. Um, we might have one leg shorter than the other. And yeah. all of these things where the horse goes, how am I supposed to make sense of that? But if you've already explained to them what they need to do on the ground first, then you add the rider, it's going to be a whole lot less stressful for them and yeah. they'll be able to understand much more clearly what it is they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, 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 awesome. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Is there any anything in there of having, um, the you know, aside from the, the weight of the rider on their back and, and you know, any unbalance or movement there, um, and having that, that person, that handler, um, they're on the ground with them as opposed to up above them too. Um, more as it, as far as like the benefits of ground, of, of doing things on the ground first. So even, even if it's, you know, a more experienced horse, um, who, you know, you, you might be getting as, a, um, as a new horse for you. Um, is there anything to do with, I guess, building that, that relationship and that responsiveness, um, and communication, um, of having you, um, having you as the handler on the ground as opposed to kind of up above them. Yeah, so there's benefits to both. Is that what you mean? Like what are the benefits of actually riding as well? Um, no, I, I, I'm actually more saying the you know, of benefits of starting with the groundwork um, oh, in that. Okay. Yes, yeah. So I guess like using yeah. body language and that type of thing, looking at like going down those that line. Yes, so I think the benefits of starting with groundwork first before moving on to riding, first of all, your horse can see you on the ground. When yeah. you think about it, it's very unnatural for a rider to be, a human to be on a horse's back, Yeah. right? It's not natural at the end of the day, even though we call it natural horsemanship, because we have to teach our horses to accept us on their backs. If it yeah. was natural, they would just allow us from the day, from the first day, yeah. um, which, you know, we wouldn't do. But so... When you're on the ground, they can see you, so you can more clearly show them your body language. Mm. 
and demonstrate that. Now, when you're writing, obviously they can't see your body language, but they can feel your intention and energy. Yeah. And they can feel your way in the sound, mm. obviously. Yeah. Um, and I do think in terms of teaching them behaviours on the ground, you will often use um, like a lead rope cue or a voice cue yeah. teamed with your energy and body language, which can easily be transferred to the saddle. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, I think, I do think the most important thing with doing groundwork before moving on to riding is the relationship aspect. Because yeah. from the groundwork, your horse will learn from you that you're going to keep them safe. You're not going to throw them in the deep end. You're going to be really clear and consistent with your cues. There's always an answer to what it is that you're um, asking them to do. So from that, they build trust in you because they go, oh, this person, you know, isn't confusing. They're here to help me. Yes, yes. So then when you mount them, they're not worried like, thinking, what is this person going to do to me up there? Yeah. Because you've already put all of that literal groundwork yes. into your relationship. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Cool. No, that, Does that, that answer Definitely, absolutely. That covers it great. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Um, okay. And so um, the... Um, just, just again with that focus on groundwork, um, I should do this first and then, then I just wanted to ask a question about finding a trainer. But, um, you know, if they want to begin, you know, doing, um, doing more, more on the ground with their horse, um, you know, where should they start in terms of, is, is there, are there simple exercises they can begin with? Um, or, you know, if they're going to go to a trainer or coach to help them, um, or take courses like you did, you know, where would be the place to start? Now, I know that's a very broad question and you've kind of been yeah. through your own journey, but if you've kind of got some good tips of, oh, this is this is where, you know, a good starting point. Yes. Well, I think doing a combination of in-person and online training is a good idea and yeah. that's exactly what works for me. Yeah. So that's what I would recommend. Um, I think... If you can, the simple tasks for groundwork would be the simple things you do with your horse every day. Mm. So thinking about, you know, how well does my horse really lead? Do yeah. I have to hold my horse in position when I lead them? Or are they happy to walk next to me? And, yeah. you know, that's one, one of the things I help teach my students how to do is help their horse walk next to them in harmony yeah. so that if you took the halter off they would be right next to you it's not because you're holding them in place yes yeah um so the way you even the way you catch your horse is a groundwork task in itself yeah it's very hard to explain these things without showing you them mm. um are they things you cover in your course i imagine yeah, of course I'm going to recommend yes. my online academy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say you can't learn horsemanship online. I disagree because there are a lot of concepts that I explain and that others have explained online that would be exactly the same if I was standing in front of you. Yeah. You know, the information doesn't really change. What's different about in person is the individualised advice for your particular horse in your particular situation. Yeah. But all of the concepts and the basic tasks, they're the same. And mm. I think it's important for humans to learn those things so that then they can use them with horses. Yeah. So, yes, there are some basic tasks. Like I, In my course, I teach, um, it sounds really simple, but the way you catch lead and tie up your horse are really important and I teach them first because let's face it we all have to do those things yeah. um, so I just I, I like to start with that then I um, teach people how to com communicate with their horse through light touch yeah sorry before that I show my process of helping horses build confidence and relaxation in yourself in your tools and with foreign objects yeah then I go into movement from light touch, so positioning your horse in different ways from your hands and your body language, yeah. uh, or assisted by your body language. Then I go into body language only, so 
positioning your horse without even touching them. So that can lead on to more advanced things in horsemanship like liberty training. Then I teach people how to circle their horses around them because circling is a great task to teach horses because it can lead to so many other things like having your horse learn how to jump with confidence, sending your horse onto a float, teaching your horse how to go up onto a bridge or a pedestal or um, other things like that. Um, And or sending your horse to a a foreign object or something that they might be afraid of. So circling is a really good skill, not to mention that it can build to things like teaching your horse how to be balanced on a circle, transitions um, within the gate and um, like into other gates as well. So circling I do teach, but it's very different to lunging, very different to lunging. And um, then I talk about pre-ride checks, so things that you really should have in place before you even think about hopping on. Yep. And then I go over riding in harmony, so the real basics of what I believe uh, helps your horse to be in harmony with you when riding. So they're the basic things. It's very hard to say, do this, this, and this, when um, they are, whilst they're basics, it does take a while to learn them, but I think that if everyone had this foundation, both horses and humans would have a much happier time and be better set up for whatever discipline that they want to do in the future. Yes, I love it, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I couldn't give you a step one, do this. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's perfect. So I'm just finishing up, I think we're in week 11 now with the current students. Yeah. So, yeah, they've, they've all really enjoyed it. So... Yeah, I'm excited to launch it again. Awesome. Well, that sounds really good. Yeah, thank you I so much. That's what you Yes, wanting. absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much for, um, you know, for your time. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions from today's show, suggestions for future episodes, or just want to reach out and say hi, I would love to connect with you on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses. Remember to also register for my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com.